Hi there. Hi there. How's it going? Elena, that was kind of a like a really sexy intro. Uh, you really brought some strong energy, and I'm here for it. Hello. How are hi. you? <laughs> what are you doing later? Just, you know. <laughs> uh, this is making me uncomfortable. How you, how you doing? <laughs> Elena, I'll tell you how I'm doing. I'm in the process of befriend of befriend of befriending the uh the apartment complex cat. Oh. And I think by the end of this week I may have a cat. Get it. <laughs> I support. I heard I heard a lot of yowling earlier this week and I was like whomst in their right fucking <laughs> mind. And then this little black and white thing is outside just mewling and being needy and annoying and I was like I love him. <laughs> So I went out and I hung out with him. And by the end of that night, he was sitting on my lap and I was like, very good. And then yesterday, he was waiting like by my front door when I came home. And I was like, oh, your name is Oliver. So <laughs> I love him. Uh, I went out and I bought $50 worth of cat toys, treats and other bribery wow. objects you're ready for this um i haven't committed to like wanting to bring him inside i kind of want to see if he's not someone's stray cat or something i mean he doesn't have a collar but he seems for the most part really super domesticated so mm. i just want to make sure that like you know you don't he might steal just be someone's cat yeah because that would be unfortunate <laughs> It would be. For the person. For the person, because I would never give them back. So no. I just want to make sure that, you know, he's he's fine. I might try to take him to the vet. I don't know. I don't know, lady. I don't know. How are you? Uh, I don't have such good news. Oh. But, uh, yeah. I did manage to convince my uh, non-cat-loving boyfriend to say that we might get a cat hell yeah hell yeah hell yeah hell yeah so uh <laughs> i feel you what a what a delight i like this for both of us yes. you're about to have more space i'm just saying what a perfect time yes indeed though everything with the apartments is going eh. <laughs> i know it's a nightmare moving sucks it is no but also like some of the walls weren't painted, so Ugh. the landlord has to paint them again, and she's, like, putting off our moving, so... Have you just offered that you were willing to paint them, as long as you can just be in that new place? She, she wants to paint it uh, professionally, even though she has done it twice already, and they were both really bad. Good. Neat. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Fiona also doesn't want to <laughs> paint doesn't want it to be our job. No, I guess differs. I guess he's right. But like he's right. <laughs> at what cost? Yeah. <sighs> cost of sanity. Truly. Uh, so what are we talking about today? I'm Stephanie. <laughs> I'm Elena. And this is Bet you Wish This Was an Art Podcast. Indeed. Truly. What a nightmare. What a life. I'll tell you what we're talking about today, Elena. We're talking about pure fucking chaos. <laughs> That's fair. Yes. I always really enjoy 
when we get to talk about mildly problematic characters from history, especially if it's like problematic in a fun gay way. And Caravaggio is it, my dude. <laughs> I mean, fun. Yeah. No. Murder. Well, no, chaos. Chaos. <laughs> chaos. Pure, pure chaos gremlin. And honestly, I'm not surprised. I really, so like, especially since I come from the camp of you can't separate the artist from the art. You can't just look at art and be like, oh my God, it's so amazing. And then not know anything or like use your history and understanding of the artist to influence that. So the fact that I like Caravaggio as a person helps me tremendously with coming to terms with his art. <laughs> do I like Baroque or do I like Caravaggio? It's, it's <laughs> typically where it breaks down. <laughs> He just wanted to fight everyone. He had so much energy and so much anger. <laughs> so, much. so much. So much. But again, it'll be great to finally dive into our boy here. Mostly because like, I feel like we have referenced him so much in our podcast without ever actually talking about him. True. This, I feels, mean, this feels good. We have talked around him. In in the best way that we can, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By calling him out without ever explicitly calling him out. But today changes that. Yes. This this is going to technically be informative. So buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> Michelangelo Merisi, or Amerigi da Caravaggio was born in 1571 and lived until 1610. Strong, strong couple of years, you know? Yeah. He was uh, born and uh, he was Italian. He was With born, a name like that? <laughs> yeah. He was born in Milan and his father and, or, well, his household moved soon afterwards uh, to this town called Caravaggio. That is the name that he took for himself afterwards so it's a kind of frequent thing in italian artists or in general where they make their name to be like this person from here so like leonardo da vinci from vinci yeah <laughs> and michelangelo <laughs> da caravaggio is from caravaggio but he's also just goes by caravaggio which can be very confusing it's, it's confusing, yes. <laughs> but uh, it's fine. Um, <laughs> he lost both of his parents at quite a young age. And we don't really know like where his love for art started. But he initially did go into the art career as we know him now. He, he was an artist. <laughs> what is talking? No, but I mean, like he very clearly had some sort of training or interest in art before he came to renown. I think there's some sort of evidence that he had a teacher in Caravaggio, or at least knew someone through the, the Marchese, but would be a no a no name. Because like it's it's so interesting to see how his style later develops versus like what was going on in the time. And there's a couple of people that you could point to to be like they were doing it too, but no real proof that any of them had any idea who Caravaggio was. He did, from the beginning, display this this rage 
<laughs> yeah, I you the, know <laughs> this prone uh, proneness to explode on yeah. people. E- even like w- when he left Milan when he was twenty one, he left Milan and went to Rome, and he left after certain quarrels. And he kind of wounded a police officer in Milan. Yeah, he did a lot of things. But, uh... <laughs> he's fine. He did his best. And, and you know, this is this is still under the time where he... You, can, you could just, like, pick up and leave and all of your troubles would stay behind. Yeah. And in fact, he found his own... He found his own troubles. He did. In Rome, he was... He was performing hack work for this uh, very successful painter um, called Giuseppe Cesari, who was the favorite artist of Pope of the time, who was Pope Clement VIII. And he, uh, Caravaggio, painted uh, flowers and fruit for in his workshop, which was quite heavy-handed. Yeah. It was quite like factory work. It was very typical of yeah, the time. That's um, fair to say. Most factory style workshops, and if you were going to go work for a famous or at least commercially successful artist, nine times out of ten, you were doing the work that artists that like your mainstay artists didn't want to do themselves. So largely yeah. background pieces, largely fabric, largely things that like just had to be done. <laughs> And that weren't reminiscent of, like, the artists in question style. There were also artists who, like, had, like, 90% of the work painted by their apprentices. And then they would, like, sign their name and add a few details that would signify that it was them. And that was it. One ear is all it takes, Elena. (laughs) (laughs) Academia today would prove the exact same. Fair. (laughs) and and obviously this is troubling for an artist like caravaggio who displayed a lot of significant talent in his work and also wanted the fame that came with being recognized for the work oh yeah and this is also rome at the time right because in rome there was this huge demand for art and for paintings, because this is the same time in a in a global historical, religious historical context of the Counter-Reformation. Yeah. If we think back to, oh gosh, ha- a, a century before when Martin Luther is demanding change to the church, uh, this creates a giant split and divide in the what we know as Christianity and Catholicism much like any good comeback kid would have to, went on an immediate propaganda campaign and tried to promote the hell out of like, what is Catholicism? Why would you want to be, why would you want to be Catholic? Why would you want to care about the Pope? Why is this the market for you? And so between building churches and commissioning artists, all of this was an attempt to Get people interested and inspired and excited by Catholicism. Yeah. This is where you wanted to be. Rome and Florence especially. Uh, anything that had to do with the Vatican, anything that had to do with the papacy, anything that had to do with the church was your big ticket item because they had the money for it. 
And doubly so, a lot of arist- like aristocratic families that tried to have political meaning or sway in their towns also had to have some form of religious iconography because, you know, you had to play favors and you had to be able to, to keep up appearances. Caravaggio, who was an artist who wanted, you know, was more interested in spending time in taverns than he was in churches, kind of got to see the real human irony of of Rome and of the times, which I think later influences, well, influences his work rather extraordinarily. Especially in his religious works, that and that was, this influence was very controversial. We'll get into that controversy <laughs> in a bit. But eventually, uh, Caravaggio did leave Cesare's uh, workshop after a heated argument, of course. Of course. Um, <laughs> and he started kind of becoming friends with different types of people, some of them who introduced them to influential collectors, others who introduced them to the world of Roman street brawls. And that kind of didn't work out for him well, but... It's fine. <laughs> what happened was he started getting commissions to paint for churches. And thus the cupeth <laughs> overfloweth. <laughs> Indeed. In 1599, uh, presumably through the influence of uh, one of his friends, Del Monte, uh, Caravaggio was contracted to decorate the uh, Conta Relli Chapel in the Church of San Luigi dei uh, Francesi. I'm sorry. <laughs> you did beautifully. Look at me, not uh, them. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> the the two works that he made was the Martyrdom of Saint Matthew and the Calling of Saint Matthew, um, and he delivered them, and they were kind of immediate sensations. Uh, and afterwards, he never lacked commissions or patrons however <laughs> this doesn't meant that he was far from criticism because the way he uh, well in the, well. In the these well <laughs> well <laughs> haters gonna hate elena i hate to i hate to say it but yeah <laughs> what he did was essentially he came up with this type of using light and shadow we know this kind of uh play on light and shadow in paintings, and it's called chiaroscuro. But this technique that he was using was even more heightened chiaroscuro, essentially, and it's called tenebrism. And it's essentially just making your works look even more dramatic through lighting. He often used, like, lantern light illumination from, in, in, like painted in his painting and everything else was dark and like the emphasis is on the figures that he displays not the backgrounds so everything in the back is completely black frequently at least which we might think of as like kind of commonplace especially as like obviously if you're gonna try to you know, emphasize an individual maybe you wouldn't want to add a background because then you can at least but this is the type, this is the day and age in which if you could put as many details into a painting or a piece as possible, 
then, then that was, then you did, you did, you did your job successfully because sure. you're focusing on trying to put as much detail so that the eye can wander so that you can tell stories and you can tell six different kinds of stories. If you put 16 different characters into the piece and you could do all these really interesting narrative things. And this is like, that's your early mannerism. That's your early Renaissance art. All of these influences, especially in religious art, that then means nothing to Caravaggio because nope. what he wants to do is he wants to, t and I think a lot of it was because he never wanted to paint another background. That's fair. Backgrounds are hard. They suck. But like, it also was a very modern interpretation of what is important to me and what is yeah. important to the viewer. And how do I capture not only raw emotion and actually worry about like what it is I'm seeing, but how do I convey that in this 2D form? How do I, how do I take a painting and make it feel like something you could walk into? Or something that you are a part of. Yeah. There are times when the source of the light, you see one source, but then the other source, according to the shadows that are portrayed in the painting, is coming from where you're standing as a viewer. So it kind of involves you in this intimate way. Because of this, and because of the way he portrayed his uh, characters, he was quite a controversial figure, like we said. Uh -huh. Because he drew as he saw. And what does that mean? He drew exact. <laughs> <laughs> he he drew exactly uh, everything, every wrinkle, every oddity in a person or uh, dirt on someone. Like all of these details that were obscene. Well, in, in that weren't that weren't ideal. You know, yeah. like you're supposed to be depicting. An angel. You're supposed to be yes. depicting Christ. You're supposed to be depicting the Virgin Mary. And all of a sudden, there's dirt? Mary's feet are dirty? Ah, ah. <laughs> you can see her feet? So <laughs> Jesus has forehead lines? Ah. <laughs> what? Angel bare legs? <laughs> it, it, it really, it really did. Uh, it's this, we, we talked about it briefly with Manet and Olympia, right? Yeah. It's no longer the muse. You're no longer looking at a nude body. You're looking at something that's naked, that's vulgar, that's too human. And why are you depicting something human when you could be depicting something divine? And, and this is, you know, this is the, this is the 16th century. This is a turn of, turn of the century. And the same criticisms that we see pop up later in art history are are kind of falling on Caravaggio and a lot of the other Baroque artists at the time. Because not only are you defining a new art movement, which is what a lot of this was, and we can get into the influences and also Caravaggio's feelings about that. But um we'll get into that later. I, I think there's there's so much to be said about not only are you depicting what you see, but if you're depicting exactly what you see that means if you recognize the model in his painting as a sex worker yeah and you know that because you have hired said sex yeah. worker then you're gonna be even more upset because how dare you use this you know 
this gay man as your as your Jesus? What do you how do, how can you say that your your favorite model is this that the other thing when we know for a fact that he's it's there's a lot of interesting drama. There's um, a lot of drama in Caravaggio's life. And also Caravaggio doesn't try to make friends nor does he yeah. try to like appease people and he's more likely to offend his clients than he is to appease them the the only the only his only real saving grace is that he's extremely talented and at least has a sense of humor to a degree yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he really didn't care about no. what is typical and i think that's why he's kind of the bad boy of art history if your art history teacher has said that i'm sorry but it's true <laughs> It's I did a little true. head bob to to reflect what my uh my homeroom teacher said. <laughs> He's the bad boy of art history. Bob's head back and forth. <laughs> well, bad boy, murderer. Mm, but like <laughs> murderer in the same way that like anyone with a sword and a duel and some pride. It was a matter of time. <laughs> it was a matter of time. He oh, man. <laughs> fought so many fucking people. <laughs> And and realistically, it was a duel, and he was challenged to it. And you you shoot for the crown, you better not miss, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And this is also the 1600s, Elena. There's only so much you can do. If you look at someone funny, they die. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah. surprised it was only one person. Well, there might have been two. We don't know. We're gonna go off the the legal <laughs> records for this one. <laughs> Yes. His work, because of all of these things, because of all of these portrayals of realism that were too real, he was quite often rejected. His art was quite, uh, well, not quite often, a few times, but his work was rejected. Um, for example, when he made the first version of St. Matthew and the Angel, he put the saint as a bald peasant with dirty legs <laughs> and uh, who was attended by this boy angel who was very familiar and like basically naked. This was rejected by the church. They were like, um, no thanks. <laughs> Something better, please? Less hey, scandalous? Hey, Caravaggio, what are you working through with this piece? <laughs> <laughs> and so he painted the inspiration of this, of St. Matthew which is much, much more tame. And yeah, the same thing happened with the conversion of St. Paul painting. Uh, it was rejected, but then several of his, uh, like several pieces for this specific work was rejected. This one was funny because it's like very reminiscent of trying to, to make the holy seem mundane the focus of this piece was he just wanted to paint a horse he really just wanted to paint a fucking horse and 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 so the horse becomes this like main focus of the piece and well done i would i would argue but uh <laughs> but his patron goes why why have like well what's the actual the um so it was a official of the santa maria de popolo and and there's a recorded quote of the official asking, why have you put a horse in the middle and St. Paul on the ground? To which Caravaggio responds, 
because. No, but you have to say it in Caravaggio's voice. Because! <laughs> like that. Because <laughs> he's mad, of course. Because he's mad, of course. And when the, when the official responds, is the horse God? <laughs> Caravaggio's just like, no. Uh, he just stands in God's light. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't... I mean, we all do, I guess. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this is the painting called Conversion on the Way to Damascus, the sec- second painting after uh, the conversion of St. Paul. That he just loves rejected. horses. And then this was rejected, too. He just loves horses. He just wanted to paint a horse. Give him a break. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck around and find out. <laughs> but... I think I think the real mm, his one of his spicier controversies really is the death of the Virgin. Um, it was originally commissioned in 1601 for a private chapel for the Carmelite Church of Santa Maria della Scala, uh, mm-hmm. but this was rejected. This piece was rejected by the Carmelites, which was a a, a religious cult inside of Catholicism in 1606. Because, <laughs> because, and, and different things will. Because of many reasons. The first one is that Caravaggio may have used a well-known sex worker as the representation of Mary, which is a little spicy. <laughs> it's a fair hot take, but <laughs> come on. <laughs> um, um, but. Giovanni Baglioni, who is a art historian and a contemporary of Caravaggio's time, says that it probably has more to do with the fact that you can see Mary's bare legs. Yikes. So come on. A little, <laughs> a little tack. Scandalous. Please. Come I don't need to see ankles on my mother of Christ. <laughs> But but regardless, calves, <laughs> a recognizable face. Caravaggio may have been controversial or kind of very good at pissing off his patrons, but he did manage to even you know it just because he was rejected, it didn't mean that he had fallen out of favor in any way. He just liked to push boundaries. Yeah. That's how it goes. Challenge, <laughs> challenge minds. It's in the Louvre now. It is. <laughs> it's pretty. I think that's another thing about Caravaggio stuff is that it's really fucking big. <laughs> like not Delacroix like, big though. No, certainly not. But still captures attention. Feels more life size. Yeah. Or or closer to life. Like imagine a slightly slightly higher. Then low-roofed house, and the size of its wall would be this piece, I think. It's still cool. It captures your attention. This a lot of leg. <laughs> it's a lot of leg. But I mean, it was... The I, the the story, the, the history of the death of the Virgin is really cool. Not even necessarily just from a, an art historical context, but um, just because it, it didn't make it to the private chapel doesn't mean it wasn't bought and sold. On the bequest of one Peter Paul Rubens, the Duke of Mantua purchased this piece. And then uh, it was later, was it that the Charles of England, the the Charles I of England bought the piece or was he given the piece? Uh, It was acquired by him. (laughs) One way or another. One way or another. It ended up in in British 
collections before later going to France. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about his uh, his angstier side for a bit. Elena, remind the courts. You are actually a huge fan of Caravaggio. I am. You are. I, I am. <laughs> I love his work. And I, I like his, uh, how do I say, explosive pie energy? Yeah. Fair question. <laughs> yeah. Or as you put it, peak disaster twink energy. <laughs> I'm right. You <laughs> are right. <laughs> well, because, like, he was known for his violent tendencies. He was a fighter. He was a lover and a fighter. He was. What could do it all? <laughs> and And even in, you know, this wasn't... A, a lawful, peaceful time, per se. Drunken drunken fights and brawls and fights for honor were pretty commonplace. But even in that setting, Caravaggio still had a reputation of being a fighter, a brawler. A, a dick. A dick! <laughs> <laughs> a short-tempered, anger management having... Yeah, <laughs> piss poor whiny baby. Yeah, and I mean you, you you see the drama in his pieces. Imagine the drama in his life. Let me tell you about a few things. Please do. <laughs> I drama. know. I know. I know. He's thrown things. I know he's he's hurt people. Killed a guy with this thumb, etc., etc. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So he was arrested in 1600 for being uh, beating a nobleman with a club. Honestly, had it coming. <laughs> he was arrested three years later for defamation of G Giovanni Baglione. Good. A, a year later, he was arrested again several times for possession of illegal weapons and for insulting the city guards. He was also sued by a tavern waiter for having thrown a plate of artichokes in his face. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> a year after, he was forced... Uh, well, he was also... Yeah, before I say this, he was also sued by his landlord, uh, landlady, who was saying that he didn't pay the bills on time, which... Which, which makes sense, because he wouldn't. <laughs> and Listen, neither do I. It happens. <laughs> It happens to all of us. And he was forced to flee Rome for a little bit because he uh, seriously injured uh, a person. But then the pa his patrons intervened and kind of solved it for him, which they did a lot. They had to. They had to. Leave, he you, was you the not, best. And you they could knew. not. You could not. You could not leave this boy unattended. No, he needed uh, to be kept on a leash. And since he didn't, since they didn't keep him on the leash, he also killed a man. And this yeah. man was uh, Ranuccio Tomassoni, and he was a gangster from a wealthy family in Rome. And, that's like saying that's uh, like saying Romeo is a murderer. You know, he like was. <laughs> that's like saying. The the guy didn't have it coming. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you challenge someone to a death duel to the death, what do you expect? <laughs> what do you expect? Yes, the legal the ramifications of this 
will not save you in, no. in, a, in a court of law, but in a court of pride. Yeah. This fight might have been started because of a gambling debt, or it could have been a fight over a sex worker. Uh, yeah. Or it could have been politically motivated. We are not sure that it happened. And uh, Damasone's parents were uber rich. So they were like, fuck this guy. We're going to arrest him and have, it, have him killed for killing another person. Which was a thing. Yeah. And yeah, Caravaggio's patrons were unable to protect him because of the, the family of the victim. Because they were really wealthy and demanding justice. And Caravaggio was sentenced to beheading for murder. Da da da. Um, I will say it is very funny how he uses that for inspiration later. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> and I, yeah, I read that in the notes, and I was like, "Huh, I guess he did." He Suddenly did a draw. lot. <laughs> he did a lot. <laughs> But he, he, an open bounty was also decreed on him, enabling anyone who recognized him to legally carry out the sentence. That's so good! Which is, which is awesome. So, uh, he had to flee Rome. Surprise! He and suddenly he... found himself not in Rome. Yep. Oops. What Oops. happened? <laughs> How did I get here? Milan? It's never better. <laughs> but he went to Naples first. I know. He he went to Naples. He had to go find his boyfriend. He yeah. <laughs> but he didn't stay there for long. A lot of the places he lived uh, in from this point on, he didn't stay for very long. He only stayed for a few months in Naples and then he moved to Malta and there he also stayed for a little bit. But uh this is a time like <laughs> the irony that comes in. This is the time that he starts painting a lot. He starts painting a lot of his paintings that ha- that depict either someone being beheaded, someone that has already been beheaded, mm-hmm. or someone who is going to be beheaded right now. He um was going Just, through a lot. He he, he was obsessed. <laughs> he he had a theme given to him. <laughs> I love this crazy man. I love this crazy man. I love him. Uh, he it, currently the the lifestyle he was living during these fleeing months are high key the life that I wish I led. Um, I mean, if maybe you were not, in the sixteen hundreds, then you probably would have. Realistically, realistically. Um, and 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 realistically, he, this is also the time he's pr- producing some of his truly best work. Which is also the fun irony of all of it, is that these are some of the pieces that he is most famous for. For example, the beheading of St. John the Baptist yeah. is, is one of his most famous pieces. And it, it hits it all, folks. <laughs> he's so, he's such a, he's such a drag queen. What, and, about, and what about the beheading of the Holofernes? Judith beheading Holofernes, yeah. Yeah. Also, also very good. Also during this time period. Also, I think, yes. I think what's also really interesting is that his very wealthy patrons tried very hard to protect him, but even they could not protect Caravaggio from Caravaggio. Nope. Uh, his worst enemy was himself. Always is. And then he went to Sicily to meet up with his ex, and then <laughs> Fair. who got him a bunch of well-paid commissions as well. And, uh, yeah. 
you know, it's it's very funny because it is just like this is literally his life for two-ish years because he's just like, well, all right, guys, NBD, I'm just going to I'm just going to be on the run now. <laughs> you know yeah. exactly where I am because I'm working. But also, <laughs> if one person threatens to murder me, I'm gone. XOXO, good night. Oh, you could arrest me? Okay, bye. It's not like he went by another name. It's not like he tried to lay low. It's not like he tried. He literally. (laughs) No, he made himself very available for his enemies. Very available (laughs) to his own detriment. (laughs) Literally, (laughs) Carvage. Like I, I get so baffled by this idiot. (laughs) Um. Because obviously, 1610 was a very busy year for him. It was. I mean, this is a period, but also, like, ever since he ran from Rome, he started getting more and more and more paranoid. Yeah. And his behavior started becoming increasingly bizarre, which included sleeping fully armed and in his clothes. Ripping up a painting at a slight word of criticism, which I mean, same. Yeah, fair. (laughs) Me during finals week, honestly. (laughs) Of this 500 pages I just wrote, throw it in the trash. We're starting over. (laughs) almost rage quit my thesis because I had one person tell me that my introduction was perhaps a little long. It's fine. It happens. (laughs) It happens to the best of us. It's sometimes bad. sometimes the brain is bad because you're on the run because <laughs> the city of Rome has ordered you to be beheaded by anyone by literally anyone <laughs> <laughs> What a diva he was at some point he became he became kind of involved in this knight order when when he was in Malta he got he got patronage, or he was looking for he might have been looking for a patronage from this Grand Master of Knights of Saint John, uh, who could have maybe pardoned him for the death of the rich kid. But um, and the Grand Master was so impressed at having a famous artist as official painter to the order that he in- in- induced him as a knight. But afterwards, he had a fight with. Uh, another knight and mm-hmm. injured him quite badly and so he was arrested but he escaped god bless <laughs> this disaster bye <laughs> and the order called him uh, uh mentioned him as a foul and rotten member but this fra- phrase was kind of used in all of such cases yeah um but remember this because because soon it will come up again. <laughs> what happened was, so he got news from Rome that he might have, be, he might be able to get a pardon? Question mark. So he was like, "Okay, I'm gonna try to go back to Rome." And he thought and- that all he had to do was say he was sorry. <laughs> sorry, I killed a guy. I'm Don't sorry. I lived everywhere. I'm I regret s- it. I does reg- the same thing tomorrow. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the summer of 1610, 
he took a boat uh, to receive a pardon from Rome. So he took a boat from Sicily. And yeah, at a certain point, he just disappeared. It's kind of fun. It's a little dramatic. It's a little scary. (laughs) Yeah. What we know is that there was an anonymous private letter from around this time from Rome to the Ducal Court of Urbino reported uh, that reported that Caravaggio was dead. And then it said that he died from a fever. However, we don't know why he died or how he died. No one did an autopsy. Nope. But the thing is that there were rumors that the family of the guy who was killed by Caravaggio was looking for him and that they might have killed him or that it was the knights who were also after him who might have killed him in revenge. But traditionally, historians have long thought that he died of syphilis and some have even said malaria. Um, Which, you know, given his lifestyle... Yeah, but it was also it's it's more the suddenness of it. You know, we still have people who said that we we know that on the twenty eighth of July he went. You know, we was declared dead, but there are accounts that you know from friends that say he died earlier, and then there were sightings of him before this, and so it was like, was he kidnapped and murdered? Was it a slow death? If it was a slow death, then would we have not had record of it? Etc. 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 My money is on he was moidered uh, yeah. for his crimes well, against money, God and his neighbors. Your money would be correct, yes, <laughs> because uh, there have his rem- human remains uh, were found in the in a church in Porto Ercole, Ercole in 2010, and it's believed to almost certainly belong to Caravaggio. How cool is that? <laughs> and according to research that was done on this body, the research concluded that he died as a result of a wound sustained in a brawl in Naples, specifically from sepsis. Mm-hmm. Yikes. But yeah, I, I would argue that this is true, or that he died in revenge killing. I can't say he doesn't deserve it. Karma. Karma! <laughs> what goes around comes around, etc, etc, etc. Yeah. But I mean, the drama truly adds to, like, the excitement of it. Yes. And honestly, the excitement, the terror, the the wonder of all of it, and and the drama, you know? Drama will forever sell. <laughs> And uh um and when you when you have like a fun sexy story to go alongside some fun sexy art, at the end of the day, you're gonna you're gonna buy in. <laughs> and we'll say it over and over again, and we've talked about it briefly. But like we could do an entire episode on Caravaggio's homoeroticism. And maybe one day we will. <laughs> we might. Going back to like the beginning of this episode. Caravaggio painted from life. So whether it was his lived experience or the experiences of others around him, he was very clear that that is what he was depicting. That there were, there was no mystery about it. There was no pretending. There was no ignorance. He knew what he was painting. 
and everyone else knew what he was painting. And so to claim that his works are just referential to or are inspired by queer love and depictions of actual homoerotic tendencies, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Obvi- obviously. I mean, yeah. The boy... <laughs> the boy loved men. <laughs> I thought we knew this. I thought we again. It's like me showing up to the party. I thought we knew this. I what? What? Uh-huh. It's a Halloween party. Of course we're in costume. It's Caravaggio. Of course he's super into guys. And whether or not, of course, and um, whether or not he is a bi icon or or just another beautiful gay man it's it really it really does remind us all that sometimes we like to erase queer identity in art history yeah history in general because it is easier to talk about an artist if they are separated from their own sexuality because then we don't have to think about people as sexual beings with passions and wants and desires i think that's uh that's the core of you can separate art from the artist I mean, just look at the boys! <laughs> look at the boys! <laughs> just look at- <laughs> it is It is slightly <laughs> problematic. There are, there are some problems with it. Um, I will say his main, his main inspiration, his, uh, oh, is it Manetti? Or Minetti? Yeah, Minetti. Minetti. Yeah. Minetti. Uh, he looked young. But it was mostly just because he was clean shaven and had the delicate features. Um, Mario Minetti is kind of like one of Caravaggio's main models, especially in his early works. Um, Boy with Flowers is, and there's a couple of other more famous pieces that have him as the model, looking very delicate and very soft and very sweet and very inviting in these eyes that look at you. And you look at the painting and you go, they fucked. (laughs) What What do you want? (laughs) I mean, I mean, have you seen it? Have you seen it? Have you seen Carve? I mean, it's just, there's so much about it. And so it really wasn't until the 70s that it entered art historical contexts, but even contemporarily, when when Caravaggio was arrested for libel against uh, Giovanni Baglioni, a lot of the reason that went against him was because uh, there was a lot of speculation around Caravaggio's sexuality during his own lifetime. And remember, this is the time in which it was super illegal to be oh, yeah. gay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Going so far as to, like, argue that these Romans... <laughs> practiced uh excessively practiced sodomy or homosexuality mm. rolling my eyes um and and baglioni right accuses caravaggio of distributing these like attacks against him and these pamphlets according to baglioni's uh, friend and witness mao salini had been distributed by giovanni battista or a very young male sex worker a child essentially or a boy in this case 
And that the fact that this Giovanni Battista is going around handing out these pamphlets, defaming Baglioni as a part of the trial, you know, Baglioni tries to claim that Caravaggio is hiring boy sex workers, uh, trafficked children to to participate. And he's like, I've never heard of that boy ever in my life. I've never, I've never seen that small youth ever, certainly. Certainly not in various stages of undress. Certainly not. <sighs> and and that's the that's the tough part. Children. Children. When and especially when you start pulling it into even contextually, even in a early but but like sixteen hundreds, as far away as it was, still a more radically modern time <laughs> than any other time previously. And the amount of ability to read, write, the understanding of sciences, the understanding of uh, childhood development. These might have been ages that you could consider a girl is now a woman when she is 12 or 13 because she can have a period. But there are still certain ages in which you're like, no, that's, that's definitely a child. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting and definitely a conversation to have. I don't know if this is the episode to have it. We should try at some point to get into the depictions of sex work in art because it tells a very intense story. It does. I think. It tells uh, a lot about history and how we have people throughout history. And how we've valued certain professions over others and how mm-hmm. certain occupations are easier to fall into versus others but where's the value and how are you protecting certain individuals against other things and again when you come back to we still knew we we knew that we still do that we still do it but at least at least having gay sex in the in certain parts of the western world are not illegal certain parts certain parts and just because it's not illegal doesn't mean it's not Heavily looked down upon, which then creates bigger loopholes of being able to abuse and anyways, with crimes of or like with labels of being a pederast and with labels of being a sodomist, Caravaggio's reputation obviously takes a huge hit from this. Whether or not he himself claims it is another story. Yeah. Caravaggio. (laughs) My gay icon. (laughs) Is pederast an English word? Pederast is an English word. It's, uh... So, we have so many different words, Elena, for people <laughs> who want to sleep with children. It's, it's Is that what it means? Uh, so, it's, it's different than, um... Because in Georgian, we use it as another way of saying the F-slur. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So... If a pedophile is someone who wants to sleep with children yeah. or is sexually attracted to children, a pederast is someone who engages in sexual activity with children. Wow. Um, and it also kind of determines the age range that they're looking at, as opposed to like they're not going over they're not going after infants, they're going after young boys. Um, there's another term specifically for if they're going after teenagers. It gets hyper specific. Well, Either something got lost in translation or it hit the point of what these people who 
use the word think about. But again, we can get into it. It was it was damning enough at the time, but uh, did not affect his reputation or his influence, I think, because of the fact that you still had um, people trying to copy his style with reckless abandon. Oh, yeah. Finally, uh, a pyramid scream we can get behind. Yeah. He left a trail of followers behind him when he died, which were... 99.9% people who have never even met Caravaggio before. Yeah. But they were very into his work and how he painted and tenebrism. In fact, there are two names that these followers go by. One is Caravaggisti um, and the other is Tenebrists. So, yep. Yeah. They were they were kind of obsessed. They were kind of obsessed, and a lot of them. I mean, especially the ones in outside of uh, Italy, right? The one, the the Italians, the Spanish, the the Dutch, who would uh, go down to Italy to go study uh, the Caravaggio pieces that they could find, and would make his pilgrimage. Uh, all across southern Italy so that they could be inspired by his work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just such drama queens. And then they'd come back and they'd set up their own studios and they'd call themselves the Caravaggista and, and how all of these uh, specific styles and, and the use of intense color and light. Well, and, and this, you know, is what they ultimately- were fanboys. They were such fanboys. And this would ultimately lead to the spread of Baroque outside of Italy. Yes. And how you would get that level of um, Catholic influence in the northern uh, Protestant countries, which would then lead to more war. <laughs> but like, Fun. at least we got some really cool art out of it. And and what's also really interesting is that it would later go on to inspire a lot of uh, artists, I can think of a handful, but I think of of the famous people inspired by Caravaggio. Rubens is a great example. And Gentileschi's. The Gentileschi's. Gentileschi's. Yeah. So. Okay, well. Gift you. We're all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we are. <laughs> And we've we've talked about uh we've talked about Artemisia uh, Artemisia before, but um even in that episode we talked about how like Caravaggio is a is a massive inspiration for the Genaleskis because yeah. her father was very fond of him and by extension she became very fond of him of that ultimate disaster. <laughs> yeah, but alas, I think he's cool. I think he's. Problematic. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I like his art. I love his art. I think we said it best closer to the end of our one of our earlier episodes, where uh, second after, episode after uh, Caravaggio died, Giovanni Baglioni did try to get the last word by writing a shade throwing biography uh, about his arch nemesis. Yep, but nobody cared. <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, Caravaggio was and remains the king of Roman art from the 17th century and just because Baglioni went on to receive a knighthood and a little 
small renown, uh, Caravaggio's firestorm of burns from the trial are truly more interesting than uh, anything Baglioni wrote. Yep. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> and fuck you, Baglioni. <laughs> We could, we could, if people dedicate their entire degrees to Caravaggio. Yeah. We could, we could go deeper. We could talk about artichokes and, and plate throwing and, and paintings and, and a lot of, a lot of naked men. Yeah. But I think, I think this is all you need. (laughs) I think this is enough for now. (laughs) But. If you'd like to see more dramatic depictions of light, uh, some scandal, and big fighting over queer rights, uh, updates, newsletters, transcripts, blog posts, and more, head on over to our website at bywrpod.com. You can also find us on Instagram at bywrpod. And on Twitter at bywrpod. You can also email us at bywrpod at gmail.com. And of course, you can check us out on Patreon. Our Patreon is the best way to support us if you like the work that we're doing here at BiWAP. Come say hi. (gasps) Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Stop getting into fights with rich Italian gangsters. For the love of God. (laughs) Just paint pretty guys in dark rooms with bedroom eyes. And remember, when in doubt, titty out. Lovely. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys. We Bye. love you. Love you. XOXO. Peace out, Girl Scout. OMG. Bye. bye. <laughs> <laughs>